I've had fleeting thoughts lately of what it might be like to be back in seminary starting everything over again. Uh, I saw this photo of some students at my alma mater and my heart sort of longed for that situation. I don't know if you uh, who have been through school have that longing in your heart ever, but there is something just about the community um, that gives me a, a deep sense of goodness. And I remember being immersed in class and immersed in books and immersed in writing papers. And some of that I could sort of uh, not so much go back to, but there are parts of the optimism of a student um, that just draw me in. Um, the calling particularly that was a part of following on this new path into what was an uncertain but surely uh, was going to be a wonderful and good future that God was making possible. And the newness of life and seeing the possibilities for ministry as there was this great anticipation. The church used to use this word that is uh, become somewhat antiquated, in fact, very antiquated now, but the, we used to sing about it in worship even, zeal. Do you remember that word, zeal? I don't know anybody who uses that in a sentence anymore. But zeal was certainly a part of that early experience of seminary for me. The writer's words, the writer of this little book of Ecclesiastes has advice for a younger listener, or at least that's what it appears to be. He's saying, remember your creator in the days of your youth. So one would assume that he's writing to someone who is younger than himself or speaking these words to that person who is younger than himself and it is being recorded, journaled for him. This is advice for a younger listener. Or, or maybe it is the writer talking to his own younger self. Have you ever done that? Have you ever remembered who you were and then given yourself advice to remember who you were? He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth because we all need to be telling ourselves to remember. In fact, at the end of this chapter, the verses that we did not complete in reading this morning, but it holds that same sense of underlying remembrance as he says, fear God and keep his commandments. And then he goes on to say, for God will bring every deed into judgment. He's trying to plant the seeds of what he remembers life was like earlier on in his own life. And this is the height of his wisdom. If you look through these 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes, you'll not find anything that exceeds these words in the 12th chapter. And there's a beauty to what he has finally come to in his mind. For it seems to be at the very heights of faith for him to say to us who are his listeners now, 
remember your creator. Is there anyone here that would take fault with that? These are great words, remember your creator. By the time of this writing, Solomon would have been old and nearly consumed by his years. He had no illusions on his condition. And the words with which he begins to describe his condition, whether it be to this younger listener or whether he is speaking to himself in his own heart about his condition, there are no illusions. And the words, in fact, become very foreboding as he begins to reflect on how life plays out. Because here, he says, he says, the years draw near when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return with the rain. In the day when the guards of the house tremble and the strong men are bent. Can you imagine those closest allies around him, those family members and those members of the guard that would be trusted, the few that would be trusted to live in the palace with him, that he would not want them to retire from their labors because he loved them so much and he saw them through the aging process. He not only saw his own life through the aging process, but he saw those around him getting old as well. Now, let me tell you, I've seen some people that were getting old. In fact, I've seen some people in this church that were getting old. I'm not going to name any name here. But I I, want to tell you that uh, I have been so appreciative of the XYZ group who painted the lines of, of our parking lot on a couple of days, very hot days, in which they were determined to get the job done but you should have seen them the day after they did it. (laughs) Their age was known to all whom they were near. They were leaning over and their backs were aching. Come on, Fred, admit it. And their, their legs were aching and they couldn't reach down to pick up what was on the floor. They were showing their age. And this is what... This is what Solomon is referring to here. As he reflects, he's saying, there are no illusions. Before the days of trouble come, before a veil of darkness covers all, before cataracts have their time at work with your eyes, the faithful servants and the guards showing their age, the women who've retired from their work, and stand just inside peering out through the blinders at what happens on the street. The choir, it doesn't sound like it used to. And you're afraid to hit the road and travel for fear of what might happen out there. And you drag your rump around the house and If you want to check me on this, you look up the meaning of grasshopper in those days. You drag your rump around the house, bored with the little collection of things your money 
has bought you. And the maid comes in and dusts. But before she leaves the room, it's already settling again. And you breathe it in. And you breathe it out. Knowing that this is the epitome of your life. Vanity of vanities, he says, this teacher, all is vanity. Solomon is piecing together the mosaic of his life. His most favorite phrase is under the sun. And he speaks it over and over again. It's strange to me that he doesn't include it in these last words of this chapter 12. But it is his favorite phrase. The afflictions of his life are the remembering and the longing for the way things were. And let me tell you, if you haven't already discovered this that that can consume you. It literally can consume you. In fact, there is great danger in that affliction of remembering, not just when you are old in years, but whenever you turn your mind to remember back to the way things were with such a hopefulness for them to be like that again. I had a conversation with a very teary soul, a member of this congregation, who was remembering back to the way things were in the 1960s in this young congregation. And how it was so alive with its newness, having just been born. And how the children and the youth were spilling out. There wasn't room to seat people in the sanctuary. Had to bring in chairs. And this precious soul, tears running down her cheeks, said to me, in all honesty, I just want things to be like they were. My heart broke for her. You know this story, don't you? Bathsheba's and Nathan's pick to succeed King David. Of course, it was Solomon. And this king, this third king, you remember Saul and David and then Solomon. That was the line. This third king who came in on the cusp of such expectation for David's having gathered a united kingdom, not only the south, but the north as well. And it was a great state of affairs for Israel and Judah when they were combined and connected with each other. And into that, Solomon 
began his 30 to 40 year range of monarchy. I say 30 to 40 years because according to who you consult, those numbers vary. But he came into this majestic place after his father and he had been well raised for he told God himself, I just want wisdom. And God said, not only will I give you wisdom, but you will also have power and you will have wealth beyond your imagining and you will see what can happen with the state of affairs from those who give their heart to God and seek to live as a united people. You know, I'm just now thinking, those would be good words to focus on as we go to the polling booth, wouldn't they? To focus on those who give their hearts to God and seek to live in a united kingdom. He sought after wisdom, judicial insightfulness. He was quite the statesman. In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 4, it says, even though we don't have a record of it, that he wrote more than 3,000 proverbs <clears throat> and over 1,000 songs. But he was fascinated with all these things that God was making possible. In fact, his fascination at the very least turned into the seeds of greed for he began to reach out and make things possible in his picture of how great the kingdom could be that perhaps God never intended. He was fascinated with all things foreign and even pagan. His wealth was immense and it was known to anybody who came to Jerusalem. This enormous royal complex, this palace beyond belief, and the fortifications to protect it. And of course, what he became best known for was building a temple to which it seemed everyone on earth was streaming. He had a large army. Who wouldn't need a large army when you had so much wealth? Horsemen and chariots. And he made alliances with the neighboring countries in the best way that he knew how back in those days, and that was to marry the daughters of the leaders of those countries. Fact of the matter, he, he wasn't surrounded by 700 countries, but he did have 700 wives. And he had 300 concubines. Have you ever asked yourself, how many children Solomon might have had? 
I know a man who told me, he said, I had six children. I said, how many grandchildren did you have? And he paused just a moment and he said, he said, 22. I said, how many great-grandchildren do you have? He said, I'm not sure. Can you imagine the largesse of his kingdom as he was thinking about his grands and his greats and his great-greats, God's blessings? How could he say vanity, meaninglessness, when he could not even remember the names of all those that God had given to him. <clears throat> now, some of you have discovered this, but on a, on a clear night, in a very dark place out in the country, you can see the cloudy edge of our galaxy, the Milky Way. Now, you don't see it like this, in fact, as we think about it, you see only the edge of it because what we see in the sky is the, the disc, the, like a plate, like a dinner plate, and looking up into the mist of the stars and the gases that are there and our being a part of it, we see the edge of our galaxy as it surrounds us because we are a part of that. Now, you may have seen a picture of our galaxy before. Have any of you ever seen a picture of the galaxy like this? Isn't that cool? It is absolutely cool. Did you realize this is fake news? Um, th this is not a real picture. How could it be a real picture? Have you ever asked yourself that? How could it be a real picture? Because where we are located is 25,000 miles. Nope, let me change that. 25,000 light years from that black hole that is at the center of our galaxy and we are 25,000 light years from the outer edges of our galaxy. There has never been a spacecraft to go that far from the Earth and tune its radio waves back to see what this galaxy actually looks like. We are surmising, scientists are, as astronomers, as they look at the the world around us, the universe around us, that our galaxy must look pretty similar to some of the other galaxies that are out there. And by the measurements that they take, this is the image that they have come up with. But what I want to point out to you here is the perspective. You see the era there, and it says you are here, and there is that point of the era that is directed toward one tiny almost invisible spot and you're saying to yourself that's the earth no that is our sun that is our sun 
Does that give you a perspective on what the size of the earth is in this galaxy? Now, Solomon would have had no idea about any of this, of course. In his mind, because he had read scripture and the way in which he read scripture, the earth wasn't circling anything. In fact, everything was circling the earth. He knew that and everybody knew that. But in Solomon's wisdom, he had come to a place where few had come that he realized that life was bigger than he could ever imagine it to be. And that actually his life, even as a king of such a great country as Israel, was only a blip on the screen. Only a blip on the screen. Have you ever felt that way about your life? You take a trip out into the country and if it's clear enough to look up into the Milky Way, you'll get a feel for how small we are. He begins to think that he needs to talk to himself and coach himself. And he says, remember your creator. But you know where I am right now with this? <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, this is profoundly incomplete. Even if you and I think that these are the best words that he has to offer, I want to suggest to you that remembering your creator is not enough the highest place that he reached what in his monotheism was that God was one but Jesus changed our theology Jesus asks us to think beyond simply understanding God as creator God surely is our creator but as we have come to know in Jesus, he is our redeemer. Somebody can say amen here now. And he is our sustainer. He is our companion and guide. Solomon wants to remember. But he can't remember. Not all of this because it wasn't fully opened to him. But you and I, we know. We know this Trinitarian formula. We know that God created the universe. We know that through Jesus, God is redeeming even now every ounce of the universe. And we know in looking and listening to Jesus that not only is he here, but his spirit circles around we who call ourselves the church 
And his spirit works even beyond the edges of the church to reach and to draw into the circle of God's love those that will see the magnanimity of of God's heart being poured out on the cross and raised up in resurrection. God who still works through people who wish to be a part of the sharing of this good news with others. For it is not enough simply to remember and long for the way things were, but to long for the way that things might be. And God gives to us this call to live within the essence of who Jesus is, to be filled with this sacrificial sense of outreach, to believe in the gift of the Spirit which helps to define the very nature of who we might become in Christ. And so I ask you today, do you remember with longing for just the way things used to be? Or is your longing for the way things might be? To God be all the glory. Great things not only has he done, but great things shall he do.